Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. You ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. you set yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control business and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, you know you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything.
by making them. Now, we're heavy on the the basics. Food, well, food and shelter, primarily shelter. A good portion of the people that listen to this podcast, if you lived in a house or dwelling in which you did not have to pay rent or mortgage payment, a good many of you wouldn't be in rush hour traffic twice a day. Many more would be working at something that they were more passionate about. Also, many, that amount of money that you pay on your monthly rent or mortgage payment you could be able to bank, you would be able to bank that. So as part of our curriculum in academics, uh, and what we'll be doing is we'll be taking people's personal finance problems as well as some social issues, and then we're going to come up with strategies on essentially how to solve those, how to learn by solving those issues by making things. In our case, it'll be to a very high degree buildings, but we'll have people on here with all different type of ideas. Also, one of our assignments, and I'm I'm doing away with the word goal, G-O-A-L. Instead of saying New Year's resolution or here's some goals that we have, we're trading all that in for one word assignment. We've done, I guess today is uh, 1,200, actually 1,201, but we deleted one by accident. But 1,200 podcasts. So our assignment going into the new year, for the new year, is every day that we podcast, and we, we basically do a live stream five days a week. There's some exceptions, but overall, every week we do five podcasts, 20 a month, 20 live streams a month. Our assignment coming up uh, going into 2019 will be, or is, starting this year, 2018, is build something Every day. Now with us, we have our product line is we have uh, two type of we have solar laser, sun lasers, sun lasers, and we'll put videos up on online for this probably starting this week. Sun lasers, which we're able to cook using the power of the sun. A sun laser allows us we can scramble egg within like 10, 15 seconds, cook a steak uh, within about a minute um, or a hamburger within a minute. Um, we have sun lasers. Uh, that's one of our products. We have uh, solar stove tops, 
that's a, another cooking device using solar energy. Um, and then we have um, zero net energy buildings that you can use for different purposes to live in, to uh, call man cave, she cave, kids playhouse, whatever you want to call it. Zero net energy buildings, uh, building small little tiny houses that essentially uh, run, run off, they're powered by solar energy, renewable energy, just not the sun. So those are, and then the component parts of that, floors, roofs, well, so our assignment is essentially Monday through Friday, produce one of those. Now, the ultimate goal assignment is to produce um, five to ten dwellings a day, five to ten buildings a day. That's the, that's the ultimate assignment we're, we're working on. At first, we're going to have to start off with, okay, we're going to have to do, you know, the um, – because logistically, we got to line this stuff up with our own location to do to do the building. So, um, right now we have an assignment which we'll probably complete. Um, we're just waiting on the materials to come in, where we'll essentially, you know, the base the base of our buildings. We'll be we'll have kits too, where you know you'll be able to get a kit and you just assemble it, or uh, we'll have somebody um, locally that can assemble it for you, so it'll be done right. But um, we'll have kits out of that too. So in any event, like so, we're going to start popping up some videos on that, and all a lot of this will be coming under our. Um, particularly the housing part, the building part, our 20-hour school. We're going to basically design a lot of our courses, make academics, that's our curriculum, on learning, if you don't know, you know, squat about building a house. You'll learn the fundamentals within a 20-hour, 20-hour hands-on time frame. That won't make you a master builder, but you'll you'll know enough of the fundamentals where you can self-correct or tab somebody who can help you self-correct your particular building project. Make academics, like I say, some of some of the things that we're going to tackle: gentrification. Um, But through a lot of observation, I've noticed across race lines, color lines, that the people who basically succeed on a very high level um, let's say economically, they make something. Even even if you go back in history the the average slave 
male or female. Let's see, slavery was abolished in 1865. It's 2018, well over 100 years. The, the typical male, particularly male slave, but look on females in there too. Without a college education, as we know it today, without an academic education, as we know it today, the typical black person that let's say and let, let's say slavery wasn't even abolished yet. So this this say it's not eighteen sixty five. Let, let's put it at eighteen sixty. Five years before slavery was abolished. The typical um as a matter of fact hold on, let's make it a little bit more dramatic here. All right, this is two thousand eighteen. Let's go back um 250 years. Seventeen sixty eight. The I would say the typical black person let's see hold it the constitution the constitution, the United States was formed in seventeen seventy six. All right, hold it let's let's bring it back up. Okay, because the United States United States is not even 250 years old yet. So 2018 is, is right now. Let's go back 200 years. That's 1818. All right, let's go back to 1818. The typical black person, I'm going to say in the entire Western Hemisphere, as like, see, we know now as well as then a university education most did not know how to read or many did not know how to read or write I'm not going to say most but many depending on the time period it was illegal at least in the what we call now the United States for a black person to learn how to read no government programs no entitlement programs I'm stating, and you're welcome to debate with me on this one, the typical slave that existed in the Western Hemisphere in 1818 was more educated than the typical person in the Western world now in 2018. Now, of course, we have to, I'm going to say academically educated. Now, I'm speaking in terms of the basics. They knew how to feed themselves because they knew how to grow food. All right. Obviously, they didn't have a bank account or nothing like that. So they couldn't go to Whole Foods or the grocery store or nothing like that. So they knew how to they knew how to feed themselves. People who go to Whole Foods, you know how to buy food. But if we if we stripped away 
the dollar bills. If we stripped away the welfare stamps and the, and the, and the, the food stamps and the EBT cards, could you feed yourself and your family? If you knew how to grow food, wouldn't be any problem. So they were more educated than the typical person with academic education. And they knew how to make their own clothes. And they knew how to build their own homes. Matter of fact, they they built everything anyway. So without an academic education, which a lot of people today would say they were uneducated. I'm saying they were more educated than the typical person in Western civilization right now with an academic education to the highest degree. Because you can go on YouTube and punch in videos of people who I believe grads. We're going to try to get at least one or two on here if not more, that have graduated from Ivy League schools, destitute, broke, living in the shelter, living out on the street. So make academics, what we're we're going to really get into here on a daily basis, once again, the definition of make uh, make academics is uh, an educational curriculum uh, that people learn how to um, they learn by solving personal finance and social issues by making things. Like Scott Simon ultimately is at least once a day during the podcast, if not during the podcast, the day of that live stream, we build from scratch. Net zero energy house or something else, and then oh, we have other people on here because that's not going to be houses that will be born every day. That's an assignment that we'll be doing, but we'll be bringing people on here that their thing might be making barbecue sauce, quilts, cars, you name it. But that that's the goal that that's what we're going into 2019. Excuse me, yeah. 2019, stressing make over academics. And something that people, you guys can look up on your own. Um, if you look up rankings, countries, you know, the top-ranking countries when it comes to education, I think the United States ranks number 14. We're not in the top 10. And some of these countries that are above the United States, particularly when it comes to university education, I discovered over the weekend a very, very interesting distinction. In the United States, most colleges and universities offer a BA, which stands for Bachelor of Arts, or BS, Bachelor of Science. Okay, and and typically on the university education, it, it, it's it's lecture. It's very passive. It's it's really not hands on. I mean, it might be an internship, 
or practicum in there for a semester or so. But it's, it's essentially passive-driven classroom, you know, talking head-type, lecture-type thing, write a report, take some tests, take some quizzes, that type thing. And then people, they go out, even as honor students, and they, they get frustrated because they can't get a job paying God knows how much money right off the bat. That's many people who have a BA or a BS, bachelor of science degree. Now, in some of these foreign countries that are ranked above the United States when it comes to educational ranking, some of these universities offer um, a bachelor. Hold on, let me let me get it correct. A bachelor's of applied science, or a bachelor of applied arts. In other words. They, the only way, the way they can get that, matter of fact, to, to translate that into the American educational system, it would be like a person going to a vocational school or you joining a union or something like that and getting hands-on instruction. With unions in the United States, essentially there might be one day of class and four days of hands-on, on-the-drive training. That's where you really learn the craft. Now, sitting in class, I mean, let's say you're part of a union and you're starting out, you don't know anything about carpentry. You know, you have one day of class. You know, you might be going over math or this, that, or other. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're actually on the job applying the information that you picked up in class on Monday. So in a lot of your foreign countries, they offer a bachelor's of applied science or bachelor's of applied arts. I remember when I was in the school system, never forget this, I was in what we would call a vocation school, or some people call it a career center. And I had guys, I had students, some of them who could barely read. But they were plumbers' helpers. And they were probably earning more money than the teachers that worked at the school that had master's degrees. Believe it or not, we're talking about 15, 16-year-olds. Matter of fact, one of them had his own house. He had his own house. So, like I said, we that's where we're going to concentrate on make a difference because a lot of it's, it's like I say, the, the academic system in the United States overall, particularly with most majors offered in the United States and probably Canada too. It, it's in, it's not, that's, that's why you see a lot of people in bankruptcy court, divorce court, all kind of courts. Even when it comes to radio stations, I was reading this morning um, in the United States, so I'll read it right now. In 1995, there were 146 radio stations in the United States owned by African Americans. That's not a whole lot of radio stations, because back then, you still had over 38, 38 million black folks, and only 146 black-owned radio stations. That's a very dismal amount of, uh, I mean, come on. 
You got more than that playing in the NBA. Um, today, and this article was written in 2016, oh, excuse me, 2015, there are 68 remaining radio stations that are black-owned and controlled, according to the National Association of Black-Owned uh, Broadcasters. You know what? I'm going to call those jokers up today and get their updated set stats. Matter of fact, I might do it during this podcast. Now, a big reason for that is radio stations, first, podcasts, what we're doing right now, the Internet. On the Internet, which is basically at this time basically unregulated, you can say what you want to say. You can bring on, I mean, any kind of content that you can think of and basically be left alone. I mean, I've heard some very, very sexually explicit podcasts. Um, I've heard, some, I mean, some radical, I mean, really polarizing podcasts, and they're on some every day, every week. Because podcasts are basically not regulated, at least at this time. Also, podcasts, uh, podcasters, because you can set up your own podcast station. Now, we have a little one. You know, like we, we, every one of our podcasts are recorded, and then we have another number, which I call our podcast station. When you call that, you can call that 24-7, and you can hit a repeat. Uh, we're working on trying to do something where we have streams going on all the time. But in any event, podcasts or podcasters have done something that a lot of your mainstream radio people have not woken up to yet, including the X, the XM Sirius satellite people of radio. Typically, radio stations, historically and even now, we're talking about the AM radio stations, the FM radio stations, and your satellite XM people. Typically, radio stations are formatted for music, all right, that could be rhythm and blues, rock, classic, country, religious, gospel, whatever. They, they formatted for music or talk. Those two. Music, talk, oh, news. Music, talk, and news. Now, there's, there's some variations in there because you got some people that might, you know, they, they got to rate my radio station. They tell jokes all day. Music, talk, and news. Now, when it comes to talk, some might focus on general local news. Or global. Now, what what podcasters do, and I'm I'm gonna throw the the vloggers in here from YouTube as well, and other platforms like that, is you have people giving specialized niche market news that will probably never be covered by mainstream and had 
a lot of these black radio stations picked up these formats they might be on today. Some examples. Uh, there's a podcaster and a vlogger, Tommy Sotomayor. You can call him a YouTuber more than anything else. But he's got a podcast, too. Tommy Sotomayor, and although he's polarizing, a lot of a lot of people don't like him because they say he bashes black women. But actually, if you if you listen, and he might you know, on occasion do that. But however, primarily Tommy Sotomayor's, and this is the way I'm saying. If you, you see it's different, call him. Let me know. Tommy, so a lot of people send Tommy stories. They send him news. They send him stories. They send him clips of what a particular niche market of people have done. And he reports it as news. You can call it ratchet news. But that, that's his niche. And just like uh, a regular, uh, you know, you know, a local TV station that they have early morning news, midday news, um, six o'clock news, uh, early evening news, and then ten or eleven o'clock news. That's what Tommy does. He reports news on that particular niche market. He drops a lot of content daily. Vlad TV. He does it with celebrity news two, three times a day. There's another guy. Um, what's his name? Phil Scott with the Advice Show. Now he's changed his format over the years, but essentially. Uh, if Phil Scott says it, news from a common sense point of view. All right, he's he reports news in his particular niche market. Now he, he points out a lot of things on uh, what he you know defines as racism and mistreatment of black folk. He's he, he's not going to have to do up a million subscribers on YouTube alone. I don't know if he still does a podcast on blogs or he he might, but that that's his news. And traditional radio stations, AM and FM, particularly the black ones, have not covered those news stories. These guys I'm naming, they they, they put it out there daily. Um, some of the stuff that we cover, when we cover a plethora, some of we're on identification series, stacking series, you know, uh, you name it, because we've gone over the board. Even with this thing we're talking about, academics, um, because you have a lot of people that are listening to local radio, and they might have a problem. Matter of fact, I'll give you a good example. Particularly on your black, the remaining black radio stations, matter of fact, it doesn't even have to be black. A lot of your religious radio stations on Sundays, weekends typically, are they're dominated by preachers who are preaching and offering prayer to the people who are listening and calling. 
a segment of those people who are listening and calling in, calling to get their rent because they, they need their rent paid. They need money. They need a miracle to get the money to cut their utilities on, back on, electric, water, what have you. They might be, they're praying because they're hungry. They don't, they don't know where to go eat or how to get food. They're not even thinking about, you know what, I can grow my own food. If I plant these seeds today, I'm going to have a harvest six to eight or whatever weeks from now. A lot of these people are, are calling to these religious radio stations. Of all, now, and that's why we're doing academics. With our, with our offline school and videos and a daily assignment on this stuff, because the world of podcasting and the world of vlogging, you know, the YouTube stuff, the how-to stuff, it, that's where we're at today. And a lot of people who own these radio stations, particularly the black ones, they stuck to the traditional format of music. General news, even if it was general local news, general global news, or general national news. Now, I mean, there's a lot of people, you know what? Returning citizens, people out of jail and prison. Their podcasts dedicated to various news just for them. And we've, we've covered them a little bit. So now let's bring this back to now that that's why a lot of these black radio stations have gone out of business. Radio One still hanging on. Roland Martin, fair journalist, uh, journalist, he got canceled. But you know he's on the internet with his own channel. But a lot of a lot of these podcasters, female. I mean, we going down the line. Cover news that is not considered news by mainstream. That's where the ball is at. Now, bringing this back to the university, because I majored when I went to college, I majored in mass communication. Mass, and what boggles my mind. When I all right, when I was in school, and what boggles my mind is this is just not, there's no connection now. We were linked the mass communication electronic electronic media majors. We were linked to the journalism people, you know, the people who wrote the school newspaper that type thing. But it boggles my mind that we were never linked into the computer science people. But, you know, that's going back to 1980. Let's bring it after 2018. It still boggles my mind that a lot of these schools have not linked mass communication and journalism up to the, the computer science department. It's, it, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And then convert their majors instead of offering a Bachelor of Science in mass communication or a Bachelor of Arts in Mass Communication. Those two two degrees is when it comes to mass communication, in my opinion, and I've got one, are obsolete. 
where the ball is going is bachelor. If if you're going to go the university route, because now you don't have to go to college at all. You don't have to go to broadcasting school at all to be getting on a mask. You, you can start your own magazine, newspaper, TV. You can do it all online now and learn by doing. That's what we're talking about, academics. Learn it all by going online. I, I'm i learning about carpentry. I've, I've helped out on some building some cottages and all that, but I'm not a carpenter. But it's but the way I want certain things to go with the production of the house that we're going to put together, I've got to learn some of the basics. So I'm running myself through a 20-hour do-it-yourself type learning experience. And one of the things I'm doing is I've, learned, I've gone on YouTube, went to Master Carpenters, got their contact information, said, look, I'm working on this project. Will you help me? I'm getting yeses. I've ordered some stuff over the weekend. Some of the stuff will be here tomorrow. I'll go to Home Depot, loads or something like that, get some tools today or tomorrow. I'm ready to go. Learn by doing. But anyway, so going back now, with some of your more difficult majors, particularly the STEM majors, you know, science, technology, math, those type things, depending on the university, they might get more into the applied side. But a a lot of your, matter of fact, speaking of which, teaching. Because a lot of reasons why a lot of teachers are getting out of the public school system, particularly places like Baltimore, they're not re-upping. Because now you can go online and teach. You can open up your own online school. You can be a tutor and not get beat up. <laughs> you know, you got people that are teaching. I mean, literally, there's a grade school teacher. She's become a millionaire by selling lesson plans to elementary school people online. So another guy, he makes over $4 million a year teaching English online. So, and that applied education, that's where the ball is going. So, um, unless your major universities, and I'm going to throw in your community colleges, um, matter of fact, and before I go to the phone lines, I remember... I attended a community college, and I wanted because I wanted to learn HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And I'm a landlord and everything. I figured, well, I'll know something to fix my stuff and then make some money on the side. So I see one. Well, let me go to a community, enroll in a community college, and get me some hands on. And we really didn't get any hands on at this particular community college. So I went for a year. They would show us the machines, but no, nothing hands-on where you can fix something. 
you know, took a cast on blueprints, but then the teacher up and quit early in the class. So anyway, I attended for a year, and then you know I said, well, let me, you know, let me let me take a trip somewhere. I took a trip somewhere, and then on the trip, that's when I got into started to get into renewable energy, and I learned most of the, the renew all the stuff I know about solar energy, how to zero out your utility bill. I'm talking about for electric and heat. And water, those three things. A lot of people had to get up and go to rush, go rush, go through a rush hour twice a day to pay those bills. I learned that basically by living it. Number one, living in households that were off the grid, living with people who grew up. Matter of fact, communities that grew up with an off the grid or virtually off the grid lifestyle. And I did that. I lived lived that way for six months out of the year for five consecutive years. And then the other six, and that that was in foreign lands, and then the other half of the year, I spent it volunteering in various renewable energy-type endeavors. So I, I lived it around the clock for six months out of the year, and then I volunteered working without a paycheck for the other half of the year. That's how I picked it up. And at that time, there were no degrees offered in renewable energy, solar and all that. There might be now in a handful of places, but there wasn't then when I got into it. That's how I learned it. Matter of fact, somebody from Chicago asked me about that and I gave him education on the phone. And then he asked me, because in order, because he was trying to pay. I wasn't asking for any money, but, you know, he had whatever program he was on. But part of the requirements, whatever he was connected up to, you have to have some type of degree or piece of paper or whatever, <laughs> which is, anyway. But that's a whole nother story. Uh, make a demic, 619-768-2945. So a lot of, and that's how a lot of, just not some radio scenes, but a lot of people, uh, it, it mainstream society, particularly the educational system, because uh, mainstream education, particular public education, public education from your public school from first grade to 12th grade to your publicly funded universities are all schools that involve politics. And that's what slows the learning down dramatically. And that that's, that's why I, I'll say it, I've said it several times, a lot of slaves 200 years ago are more educated. They, they might not know how to build a rocket that'll get you to the moon. They might not know how to build you a plane, but as far as organizing and building a homestead, a infrastructure, a township, feeding yourself, building a house, building a schoolhouse, they are more educated 
then, 200 years ago, than the average person graduating from a top-rated university today. Academics, which is really, that's a, coin, a, a term I coined, but a lot of people, why do you think a lot of people are joining Amway, Mary Kay, various network marketing groups, um, taking sem- weekend seminars, going on retreats, uh, go- going to uh, retreats where they learn how to build tiny houses or building a regular-sized house or you name it. There's many educational ventures out here today that are taking form in the form of workshops and retreats because they want, they don't want to go another two years. They don't want to go another four years. They're not interested in getting another degree. They're not interested in getting another certificate. They want to get some hands-on experience. As a matter of fact, even the days of the books and tapes thing, you know, come to my workshop and seminar and buy my books and tapes, that's even played out right now to a very high degree. People, as far as they, they, they want to learn to get on the come up in a certain area of their life, and they want to get hands-on experience. That's where the ball is at. Now, once again, there is, there's some exceptions. If you want to become an attorney, a barred attorney in the United States, you're going to need that four-year degree to get in the, get into law school in most in most states. Law school basically doesn't teach anything about the law; it just teaches about the, the language, you know, torts and what's this, that, or other. It prepares you to take the bar. Once you you know that's what four years, three four years, and then after that, you know, you go to a law firm and and then you learn. Meanwhile. You got people that are professional squatters or building hijackers, as I call it. They know applied law. That's that's the basis of it's my house. I had a squatter in a property that I, I have, and she went to an agency and learn applied law on how to stay in the house, something I didn't know about. She she didn't go to, she didn't take a paralegal course. That might be six, nine months, 12 months. Didn't take that. Didn't have a two-year degree in this. Didn't have a four-year degree. Didn't have a law degree. But what she did, because I... What was interesting about this, and the blessing of it really, too, because I went to lawyers, friends of mine who were barred attorneys. I kept on hearing, I don't know, from barred attorneys. I went, I heard, I don't know how they did it from landlord, tenant lawyers, lawyers that specialize on evicting people. I don't know how they do it. I learned how they did it. They take a little bit of information coming from one or two people that might be at a particular government agency, and then they take that bit of information and apply it. That's why I call it 
applied law. And law in Harvard Law School and Yale Law School, you get a, uh, what do you call it, a JD, Juris Doctorate, but it's not an applied Juris Doctorate in law. And that's why you go on YouTube and there's video after video after video. People who have taken control of houses, some to the point of the homeowner has lost their house to foreclosure to a squatter. What's the distinction? Applied law. In the United States, and most Western countries, or many Western countries, to a very high degree, they do not teach apply, what I call across the board applied literacy. Most people that buy a home are basically household illiterates. That's why you have foreclosures. That's how you have evictions. Anyway, but make it damage. We'll, we'll get into this. You'll hear it on a regular basis. Like I said, where we take personal finance problems and social issues, and basically we use make it. We solve those problems. We learn by we learn how to solve those problems by making things, and then of course selling them. Uh, let's see. Let's go to our phone lines here. Six one. Oh, that's, that's my number. <laughs> Three one four. Your mic is open. Yeah, somebody moving my house like that. I'm gonna show them some applied law. They'll never forget it if they survive. Oh, that's good. But uh, but you know, I don't have too much to add to what you're speaking about today. In the uh. If you want to be an engineer, okay, you, 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 watching the YouTube video is not going to do the trick. You're going to have to actually, you know, do what you need to do, enroll in the right classes on, you know, on a college level, and then go to engineering school. So it, it doesn't apply to everything, but it applies to a good many things. Yeah, it, no, it doesn't apply to everything. It, it applies to things that... Uh, you know, I mean, really, people take on in their secondary life. <clears throat> oh, you talking about living off the grid and growing your own food and stuff like that? That's things that people do in a secondary life after they don't came through the traditional way of conversing throughout society. Because most people are going to use the supermarket. Supermarket is very convenient. It, right. You go in there and take what you need for serving, leave the rest of it there. They'll keep it refrigerated and packaged and fresh, more importantly. Well, oh, Bianca, let me jump on one word. All right, traditional as from 2018, because if we go back – 100 to 200 years, what was traditional then is not traditional now because a lot of people used used to learn their profession. It could be making shoes. Uh, Abraham Lincoln learning the law. 
through apprenticeship programs, which was hands-on training. But we got well, away from the, the apprentice program to the academic program, which I think is interesting. Well, they, they still have apprenticeship modes of learning in commercial construction, whether it's what you've been talking about, carpentry, sheet metal, plumbing, iron working. Then you have, uh, you got the cement finishes. That's apprenticeship. You got H or sheet metal. Sheet metal is the same as your heating and ventilating air condition. Elevator operators, elevator operator, but elevator installers. That's uh, they have apprentice program. Electrical to become electrician, a commercial electrician. That's apprentice program. <clears throat> Where you go on the job? Well, well, well most of the, the main, I mean, all, most of the building trades you're mentioning, you won't find that on in the course curriculum at a lot of your four-year institutions. No, you don't. Matter of fact, I don't. I can't think of any. You can't go to a Harvard and learn how to become a steel erector. That's something that you have to learn from doing. See, here's the thing: you, in commercial construction, like I said, you don't go to no uh, university to learn that you start off as an apprentice you learn the business by working at the business of course apprentices uh earn less for a number of years uh every year they pay go up a certain percentage in some trades you you attend school during your course of your eight hour day and some you go after work and attend them right. and then you become a journeyman and you're working on the job and expected to be able to perform the work of a journeyman. And then if it so be, after you've worked at that trade for a number of years and you develop some sort of network, then if you choose to, you can go into business, starting your own company, doing the very work that you started off at as an apprentice working your way on up into a journeyman. And that's the best way right. to learn the business, especially right. in some trades. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, now, as I was listening to you, because I'm thinking about I'm sure this is happening in St. Louis. Uh, I know it happened. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use Washington, D.C. as a, the backstory on this. But I'm, but the story, of, the backstory I'm about to tell, I'm sure it's happening with all well, all your major metropolitan areas, urban areas in D.C., uh, in, in the United States. When Marion Barry, and, and I'm not going to put this all on Barry, and Washington, D.C., uh, before Marion Barry passed away, because uh, he lived in the southeast part of Washington, the cardinal of Washington, D.C., which has gone through a lot of, has gone through and is going through gentrification. And you had some black folk in those neighborhoods talking about, you know, Latinos are coming in and they they're getting all the contracts and they're doing all the work, uh, you know, to, to build the new buildings or whatever, and and what used to be an all black neighborhood, okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these a lot of these uh, Latino companies, as you've mentioned before, there's a lot of nepotism. You know, they 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 got family members who grew up in the business. Now, yeah, they. Uh, and this is why I, I can't put this all on Barry. Now, in the in the D.C. school system, 
there were, I think, in the D.C. school system, maybe two vocational schools. One closed down for a period of time. That was Phelps. That was that's where I was at at one time. But they didn't have. They there was nothing in the educational school system during Barry's. While he was mayor, matter of fact, once again, I can't put this on. Let me take Barry out of the equation. There was nothing in the D.C. education system that where kids can go and learn in the classroom and then union-wise, because there were unions, but there were no unions mm-hmm. where, where, well, put this way, there were not enough blacks who had the social capital or the political capital to get the, the joining unions where they can learn these trades like you were talking about and, like you said, eventually start their own businesses. However, the Latinos and their culture and educational system did all that, and that's why they got those contracts to build all well, that yeah. in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that was Black's fault of that. Like I've always told you, Latinos, Nigerians ain't going to teach your kids how to take power from them. That's Black folks' fault for not having a vision. Have you ever noticed? And let me let me go. I want two things I want, areas I want to speak to you on. I'm going to tell you about the, you hear people always criticizing this disparity in wealth. But let me give you a, a, a real quick example. And just recent, out there in North Dakota, where they had this boom, of course, the United States has came back on the scene as being a world leader in the exportation of oil and gas because of the shell technology technology to take uh, oil and gas out of rocks uh, that's on these permabasins. These, this oil, see, these oil has been sitting on these rocks and been contained in these rocks. Uh, Cavernous uh, containers. There's an underground container, underground vessel, underground storage, and then it seeps into the rocks. Well, now they have the ability to take that out through different innovations. Well, it was a boom in doing this up in North Dakota. But it takes people with the capital to make this happen, which they did do it. The same thing in Texas. It takes people that's got the capital that can put these operations into motion. Now, right. the little guy, when you have booms like that, it opens up potential and opportunities for the little guy. They're going to need housing. And it was actually a devastation for this community, white community. You know, I hear blacks always complaining about they have their stuff taken. Well, the whites that was living in this community when there was a need for occupancy space, where you had retirees, white retirees that was paying three hundred dollars a month. Well, they rent went up, up to thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a month. They can't afford that, so they had to leave. Whites was displaced because of this. So it brought about a boom in building accommodations. If you have that many people coming into an area, you're gonna need restaurants. You know, there was stories about people coming there, uh, starting parking lot 
striping businesses. This one guy said he made $250,000 a year striping and laying out parking lots. Another guy, uh, him and his wife started a donut manufacturing place. These are people that came from all over the country, a few blacks that was coming there for the opportunity to make some extra money to pay off their bills. One guy said that his kids was in trouble, so he was making extra money so he could pay uh, their debt off. A black gentleman said that he was making an extra money so that he could come back home. I think he was in Chicago to pay cash for his house. He went up there the first year. He came back home and bought a a uh, a van and made a living space out of it. Well, that was fine until the winters came in. I don't know what the story ended with him. So those with capital produce uh, takes on these ventures, and then these ventures need this service support in order to provide amenities for the people that's participating in it. And also, it provides better amenities for the people of the town, the area, the municipality, where all this is going on at. So that's something that's very well needed. And I forgot what the other point I was getting ready to make. You might have to help me remember that. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um, Oh, well, like you said, blacks is black folks, and we haven't jumped on opportunities that they don't jump on opportunities. You're absolutely right. They don't prepare for those opportunities. Oh, this is what I want to tell you. You got the you have the different groups in the African American community, the black community. You got the, and I'm gonna talk about the activists. I guess you can call them actors or these historians. The books that they want you to read, talking about your history and stuff, and it's written by these authors, they never have solutions. They always talk about what have happened. And who supposedly, quote unquote, allegedly done it? But there's no right. solutions that you find in any of that authorship. And I must say this: Marta, Marcus Garvey didn't really have no solutions in his either. He talked about he talked about going someplace else. Well, when you get there, what you gonna right. do? Where are the solutions? What? Excellent point. Excellent point. They, he, they, nobody ever brings that up. Once we no. got to Africa, all right, what are we going to do? Absolutely. What the hell are you going to do? You hear that same nonsense talk today about we need to have our own. Well, your own what? And then where is the capability of making, or should I say providing the needs for your own, your community. If you're gonna so if you're gonna go carve out and plot off, stake off a area to call it ABC Township, all right. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna provide what's needed in that township? That's the same way when I talk about uh, people, and you know, you talk about living off the grid, but you got some people talking about these little areas, like uh, there's one lady's got Pembroke, I think. Yeah. Black women, black females, are is not going to take up their lifestyle. Ain't going to take up no nope. lifestyle out there cutting wood. Black women ain't going to take up no lifestyle out there uh, digging rows in order to plant potatoes and all that crazy stuff. 
If you That's tried true. to get a black female to do that stuff, they would look at you like you're damn crazy. They're not going to do it. Now, now maybe in their later lifestyle, their later life, they will. You find more white women do that than black women will. I don't know about it's you. I've never seen. Because most of the most of the like the little tiny house retreats I've been to, which have been in remote areas, uh, I mean, it's mostly white folks. And the first one I went to, I was the only black person there. Period. Second oh hell I yeah! To, <laughs> there were two black females. They were nurses. They're flowing for California. And that that was it. And the last one I went to last year, there were three black females, and I was only. So you're right. The the, the majority of urbanized people are not. Excuse me. They they won't have anything to do with that. No, they but you know what? I know that. Yeah, they, I already know that part. Mm-hmm. So what, what to reiterate the stories. That uh, lecturers come in and they talk about these events, but they have no solutions. You right. know, it's really ridiculous to tell somebody if you went to a doctor and the doctor told you that you got high blood pressure, then showed you the door. That's damn near what I would call malpractice. What is the solution? Doctors can cure. Engineers can put in place where their problem never arises again. So if you don't have all you know, those, I, I'm hmm? thinking about, and you you've called into the part you familiar with the part when Charles Tyler, the late Charles Tyler, was living. I don't there remember. There were so you, you talked about last week with you know going to different climates and different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Four gentlemen. Now he died of a massive stroke, but there were four mm-hmm. other, three other gentlemen also. I'm thinking a lot of them, because like you said, it, if you're going to go to a different country, what are you going to do when you get there? But one of the basics is, are you in good enough shape to even go to another place? Oh, that is another point. Because your sedentary lifestyle here in the United States and your convenience will not get you through in another country. Even when you go on tours, if you don't spend at least a month preparing your body for some of these walk tours when you go into Africa and Egypt, you ain't going to make it. You're going to be staying in the hotel room. You're not going to be climbing up the side of them damn hills. You're not going to be going down into them tombs, them pyramids, if you're not in shape. You got to go uh, bent over about an eighth of a mile down in them pyramids. And, I mean, you're just not going to do it. So all that requires something that you're going to have to expend before you can be able to participate or enjoy into, uh, you know, the adventure. I'm sorry to say. There's podcasts. Or well, particularly on YouTube, every day there's some type of uh, group of black folks, mostly men, that are talking about, you know, I'm done with the USA and let let's go back to Africa. But not one of them 
has come up with a solution. I, I asked, uh, matter of fact, speaking on the health part, uh, Viad, I asked you to call back in. Uh, Tiaki and I were discussing, um, you know, a lot of people. You know what? The... Long old trips. Oh, hold mm-hmm. on, Tiaki. We go on these long haul trips to various countries. A lot of us are not in shape to go. As I, I mentioned before, the late Charles Tyler, who died last Thanksgiving weekend at age 44, he was the fourth person that died, African-American, that, that there were three others that died before them. From what I understand, all four of these guys, including Taylor, I mean, Tyler was not in shape. So now, you, you Did they go to Brazil? Yeah, all Brazil. All oh, Brazil. okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, 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 those the guys that used to be on uh, YouTube talking about going to Brazil? Yeah, they were on YouTube and they, they won the podcast every week. I'll be down. Yep. Well, I tell so you I, what, now. People, I don't know how, people, see, but Tyler was only 44 years old. He was only 44. And, people don't uh, but anyway, Ziada, now you've done some globe trotting yourself. Uh, you visited the Great Wall of China. Could you share with us what kind of shape would you suggest that a person who might want to go take a long-haul trip to China from the United States and visit the, the Great Wall of China, can you suggest what a person might do to prepare for that trip? Uh, well, I think the main thing is to take uh, enough herbs and, and supplements with you in case you do get sick What so you have something you can uh, do for your body to get well faster because that was the problem with my ex and I is that everybody on the tour got sick. We all had flu symptoms because I think the water they were using to prepare the food along the way probably had some bacteria or something in it. So I ran out of supplements because I didn't really think I would need uh, too much since we were on a a planned tour. But for me, it's about taking emergency herbs like activated charcoal for poisons, Echinacea, golden seal, a lot of vitamin C. We, I, we ran, I ran out of all my supplements, and then we went to a health food store, and all they had was tea, peppermint tea. So to me, it was about just having uh, emergency supplies when you travel, and that's what I do now wherever I go. I make sure I have enough emergency. What about, what about when you tackle the Great Wall of China? What kind of condition do you suggest a person be to even attempt that, including well, that's hydration? A, you know, yeah, that's just about having enough water and then having be my my ex husband was not fit for that Great Wall of China, but he was so determined and passionate to climb that wall as high as he could go. I did, I went halfway and he kept going and he was more out of shape than I was. But when he came down, he was soaking wet because he had the, the 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 exercise to get up there is is amazingly strenuous. So to me, it's about having the 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 determination and the mind, and the discipline to overcome everything and anything. You know, I had a show last night where I talked to a Marine who has been through hell, and he is so strong and disciplined and doesn't take a lot of pain medication because he went through a lot of pain as a child and, 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 and in his, his training for Marine. And I came away this morning, my friend and I were talking, if you haven't been in the military 
for training and to be disciplined or had a lot of pain in your childhood, you're going to be a, a soft, sensitive person, and you're not going to adjust well to anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you, well, you know, on that. More on this you go ahead, PR. Before she goes on on that, <clears throat> I suggest that people. I know what you're saying with herbs. Herbs is sort of like a tune-up. Just like when you check your oil and you a pint down, and you make half a cup down. Then you add a half right. cup. But if you're not never, if you're not used to taking that, you need a whole damn oil change. The the best thing to do for people who is nowhere near that condition is go to your local public health and tell them where you're going, and they will recommend and give you the medicines that you need to order to overcome some of those things that you're going to be faced with. When you go in these other countries, well, that may that might work for some people. I, I don't doubt that. Some people may may need to do that. But some something simple like activated charcoal. Anybody, if you have any poison in your system, diarrhea, any type of uh, uh, imbalance, activated charcoal will usually correct that. It'll absorb the poison, absorb the unnecessary bite, check the diarrhea. That's something everybody should take with them when they travel because. It will help. And then vitamin C, that's another simple thing that somebody can take. Beyond that, yeah, they might need to go yeah, I agree with you. to the doctor. If I go someplace and I have a, a stomach issue, I get a, a, a Pepsi-Cola, not a Pepsi-Cola, but a, a 7-Up. And then Fanta Orange, I, I do 50-50 with water and that, uh, that soda. And it works out very well for me. But when you start messing around with stuff like malaria and people going in with euchanasia, and they have their little uh, jar with the vial in it. They take uh, like the eyedropper. And, uh, you don't want to be messing with something like that because it will kill you just like you did you know, Asia Hillary. You, you mentioned something because, like I said, in a lot of these countries, you're going to be doing a lot of walking more than normal. Um and Charles Taylor, some of the last videos that he did, I mean, he was doing some walking uh, and up some some of them steep hills uh, in uh, Brazil. Um, I don't know how hydrated he was, but um, I know in, in my case, I had to go from drinking, you know, like four liters of water a day here. I had to drink minimum of eight liters of water because I was doing more walking and the climate was more humid. Well, I was over in Southeast Asia. So I would recommend, matter of fact, Viata, how how many miles did you walk on that Great Wall? Because I'm going to recommend people that before you take a long, hard trip, just start walking. Walk a half mile, walk a mile, walk, I mean, build up to five miles. But Viata, how, how, how far did you, mile-wise, did you walk on that yourself? I didn't walk. It's it's not, it's an upward climb all the way, and they're very steep steps. They're like steps like two inches high. It's ridiculous. The steps you're I mean you're raising your leg high, and uh, I didn't go far at all. I went like maybe a quarter mile up, and I'm like, okay, this is enough for me. I'm gonna stop right here because we had to be down to the bus at a certain time. But my ex-husband was so determined, and he thought he was so out of shape. It was like ridiculous to me. I don't know how he made it, but he was just determined. But I, as far as preparation, you know, for any uh, trip overseas, I think fasting is the best preparation because, you know, mucus, when you have a lot of mucus in your system, 
that those bacteria and viruses will cling to that mucus. So if you take time before you travel to fast and stop eating processed foods and get some juices in you and, and get your body cleaned out of most of the mucus, then the bugs won't have anything to cling to when you go overseas. They, they'll go. You but, might have well, well, what about walking? Because, because as Piarki said earlier, you know, in our sedentary lifestyle over in the United States, you know, go to work, sit down at a computer, come home, sit down at another computer. Okay, a, a lot of Americans, we just, we sit and we don't walk enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I walk at least 20 minutes every day because that's the way I, I have to get away from my computer. And I just, I have a lot of nice country trees and cows and all that. But, yeah, absolutely. It's like walking should be a regular part, part of everybody's lifestyle is whether you park far away from the grocery store and walk to the, you know, the the entrance instead of parking right next to it, walking upstairs, all of that helps strengthen your heart and your relations. So I agree, uh, yeah, walking should be part of the preparation along with fasting. Get rid of that mucus that's clinging, that the, that bacteria will cling to and cause you misery. Yeah, right. people should get involved in activities like yoga where they restore their mobility in their limbs and legs and so on and so on. You know, people I see people going out doing uh, line dancing and hop the hop and stuff like that. But when it comes time to take their leg and put it up on their knee or put their knees up to their chest, they can't do that. So you have right. to you have to have you have to keep yourself mobile where you and see that has a lot to do with the circulation too because if you're not using joints the way they was intended to be used then all kind of stuff sets up around that joints and will block off the arteries that go to other parts of your body especially your legs yeah yep, and on that yoga Yoga develops flexibility, so that's so important. I do yoga every morning. Yeah, he's right. The yoga, breathing, and and deep breathing. You know, L.A., what what you went through in your travels, that deep breathing became important just to overcome chest pain. So between deep breathing, walking, yoga, and fasting to get rid of the mucus, I think that prepares you for any journey. That's true. A matter of fact, we're going to end this podcast today because i got to go help somebody right now. Who I told walk around your own house, but they can't. anyway, that's another story. On top of that, uh, everybody have a great rest of the day.